and welcome to Live, Laugh, Eat, episode two. And today's episode is about a topic that is so, so important to me and is really at the center of a lot of the work that I do with clients. And that is building a better relationship with food. Because as much as most of my work with clients is on the aesthetics, so in other words, I help people change the way they look through dropping fat or building muscle, I'll never evenly, like I'll never knowingly do that at the expense of somebody's relationship with food. And I'm a firm believer that you shouldn't put life on hold for fitness and that actually all of this fitness stuff should be adding to your quality of life, not taking away from it. However, <laughs> I don't feel that everyone within the coaching space shares that view, unfortunately. And some coaches, despite having the best of intentions and not even realizing they're doing it, might actually be exacerbating poor relationships with food, um, especially with things like extreme diets, cheat meals, binges, full days of eating, all being glorified online and on social media. I guess, how do we determine what's helping you and what's not helping your relationship with food? So I thought I'd use today's episode to talk a bit more about this and what actually makes a relationship with food good and healthy. And how can we make sure that we're using and viewing nutrition and in particular dieting in a way that isn't going to be detrimental to your long-term health or your relationship with food? or if you're a coach listening to this, your client's relationship with food. So to help me do that, I do have a special guest today, and I'm very much looking forward to having a ramble with her. So please welcome to the podcast, nutrition and food relationship host, Sophia Harris. How are you doing, Sophia? Hey, lovely. I am good, thank you. Thanks so much for having me on. What an exciting discussion for us to be having as well. It's a big topic, so I hope, I hope like... I feel like there's going to be a lot of nuance and we could probably go on all day about this. So we are going to try and do our best to keep it within the hour episode. Um, yeah, I guess, Sophia, I mean, I guess if we kind of start by you giving the listeners just a little bit of background as to who you are, what you do, and also maybe a bit of your own personal experience with dieting, your body, your relationship with food. Yeah. 100%. So, yeah, I'm a nutritionist, food relationship coach. I've got a couple of coaches that work alongside me as well, supporting all of our clients. And we support people. A lot of them do want fat loss or have body composition goals, but they are more interested in focusing on why they feel the way they do about food, why they feel the way they do about their body, and what's sort of resulted in that over the years. Because you'll see this with a lot of your clients as well. So many people go around in circles with the health, with their fitness, with their nutrition, and they might be able to lose weight, but not actually keep it off. And we know that you already spoke about a side of the industry where people are promoting more extremes and unsustainable approaches. And that can definitely be a contributing factor to people ending up going round and round in circles. But a lot of people have beliefs and thought processes about food or about the way they feel they should eat that is then just adding to all of these issues as well. So we really help clients work through all of that stuff to get them to a place where, yes, they can achieve their body composition goals, but they can also maintain them without having to obsessively track calories, without having to overly restrict, without constantly being on or off the diet. Because so many, like, that's so normalized in society, isn't it? Just losing 10 pounds and gaining 10 pounds and constantly spending your life going round in that cycle. But if people are stuck in that cycle long term, it's a form of disordered eating. And there's nobody really saying that actually this, this is a problem. People shouldn't be spending their lives trapped in that way of eating. And actually, it's going to be detrimental to the way that you feel about food and the way that you feel about your body as well. Um, so that's sort of the area that we specialize in. We also do work with quite a few clients who don't have body composition goals, but they are just sick of diet culture and being told that we should always be wanting to change the shape and size of our body and they need help with an overall healthful approach to nutrition. They want to learn how to fuel themselves, 
but to be doing that away from aesthetic goals as well. Um, and as far as my own background, so I struggled with eating disorders and disordered eating for about 10 years from the age of 14 to 24. And I'm 34 now. So the last 10 years, things have just been going from strength to strength. And for me, so many of my issues came from the fact that I was only focusing on my physique. I was always trying to be skinny, always trying to be small, always trying to over-restrict. Um, I now know that a lot of the behaviours and issues that I had were also symptoms of ADHD, which I was diagnosed with last year. So that had led to lots of bizarre patterns of eating and behaviours around food that then contributed to the eating disorders as well. And it was learning how to listen to my body more and move away from thinking that I had to eat in a certain way all of the time or I wasn't good enough or I had to always be super lean and always have abs um, that actually allowed me to get to a place where naturally I wanted to eat nutritious foods most of the time and I found it so much easier to actually maintain a physique that I felt comfortable with and confident in without having to go to these extremes. And I think education on nutrition is a huge part of this whole conversation as well. Um, so, yeah, that's that's it, really. Trying to keep it as brief as possible. <laughs> no, I love all of that. And I was actually, not, not that people can see because this is a podcast, but like really nodding my head through that because I think we have quite a similar client base in that respect in that, you know, I think very often a lot of the women that come to me are just sick of dieting and they're absolutely sick of it. They spent their year, like their lives hopping from diet to diet to diet, but they're not ready to give up on those aesthetic goals yet. And I think there seems to be this real notion, particularly in a lot of fitness social media culture. And I don't know if you're seeing this in your uh, kind of feed, but that you have to pick a side that you have to choose between dieting or having a healthy relationship with food. And I thought it would be a useful conversation to have today because I know that we both sit somewhere in the more middle area in that actually there is nothing wrong with wanting to change the way that you look and there is nothing wrong with wanting to diet and dieting if done, you know, in, in a way that supports you. I think that's the key thing. It's in a way that supports you. And I think a lot of the fundamental of that is finding something that is realistic for you as well 100 percent. i think what a lot of people forget as well is that dieting should be short term yeah like it's not a lifestyle choice like low calorie restriction always like having to be conscious and aware of numbers that's not something someone should ever be doing for their whole life yeah like dieting in a way that's as healthy as possible for the period of time to achieve the body composition that you want and then it's like, right, okay, so what happens long term? How do you maintain the results that you've got? How do you get to a place where there's the acceptance that you might have hit your goal weight, but you're going to sit within a maintenance rate, which might mean a few pounds up, a few pounds down. And that's completely normal and healthy. So I think because so many people don't ever get to where they want to be because they are constantly going round in circles, that's where this conversation is really lacking that actually... Yeah, dieting. I mean, some people need to diet for health. Like that's that's a fact. Of course it is. And some people want to diet for aesthetic reasons. I dieted at the start of this year for aesthetic reasons. Like we support clients, so many clients with aesthetic goals. There's nothing wrong with caring about the way you look. Like I care about the way I look. That's one of the reasons that I make the few choices that I do most of the time. And there's nothing wrong with that at all. And I don't think we should have any shame in saying, yeah, you know, I care about my physique. I care about like being in shape. That's fine. But there's ways and means of doing it that don't compromise the way that we feel about food. Yeah. And I think, you know, these are, I think these are really important conversations to have as well, because even when we just both use the word diet here, we might be having a different definition of what a diet is. To, to somebody else listening to this, like there might be people who would watch the way that we live our lives and that we eat 
And to them, that might actually be dieting. That might be being good to them. That might be being healthy. Does that make sense? But to me and you, it doesn't feel like that because we've done the extreme or we've lived our lives this way for a long time. We've tapped into what actually makes us look good. And I really, I like the way you worded it, actually, I think, when you were kind of introducing yourself, a place where you naturally choose healthful foods. Mm -hmm. So what would you say is like a key component in somebody getting to that place for themselves? And what would you say that actually naturally choosing healthful foods looks like, if that makes sense? I think knowing the way that you're eating and the way that you're looking after yourself when you feel your best is so important and this is where the consistency part comes up and comes into it because for quite a few clients that start with us when we look at the way that they're eating and you'll see this with your clients or some of your clients as well they are surviving off processed foods or snacks they aren't actually fueling themselves properly they aren't basing the majority of their diet around whole foods because that is how the majority of people should be eating. Like that is sound nutrition advice. Minimal processed foods, not no processed foods, but minimal. And we know there's going to be periods of time where you eat more processed foods or more junk foods and that's more than okay. I've just been on a hen do this weekend. I don't think I saw a vegetable apart from one that was on a burger um, the whole time. And that's, that's okay. We have periods of time like that. Like that's balance and part of a healthy relationship with food. But then... You know, the majority of times it's making sure that you are trying to make your food yourselves in advance or you are looking at your plate and you've got that balance of food on there. You've got loads of variety, loads of plant-based foods. And when you're fueling yourself like that and your digestion is in a great place, you feel energized, you can show up as your best. You also feel comfortable within your body as well. And you don't have anxieties or fears around food because you know most of the time you're basing your choices around nutritious things. That is how it can then eventually become more natural because you know what feels good for you. And obviously that's going to look slightly different for everyone. Like we're both privileged that we work for ourselves. We work from home. We've got, yes, we've got dogs to look after, but you know, we don't have children to be caring for. We don't have family members to be looking after. So we can prioritize things and we can prioritize our, nu- our nutrition in a way that might not be as realistic for everybody else. So I'm always really careful to ensure that I do acknowledge I'm privileged in that way as well. Yeah. Um, and then I had this conversation with someone else the other day and they were like, well, you call it privilege. I call it a choice because you've chosen not to have kids. And I was like, well, yeah, but there's still barriers for the people and barriers for our clients that we have to help them work around. And that's part of our job, right? Um, so yeah, it's more, more, I think, knowing how you feel your best and then having a sort of baseline routine of what that's going to look like day to day, but then being flexible within that. So if a friend messages you and says, do you want to go out for dinner this evening? And they want to go to a pizza place. It doesn't fill you with dread and fear. It's like, yeah, I really want to go catch up with a friend. It's not even really about the food. Like, yes, food is there for pleasure and enjoyment, but you know, when you are socializing or when you are seeing people, if food is involved in that, and it doesn't always have to be involved in that, but if it is, then it's from a place of enjoyment and calm rather than it being, oh my God, I can't have my chicken and pasta that I'd planned. So that terrifies me. So Mm. it's finding peace Mm. with food, but also knowing that when you are making nutritious choices, that is how you feel great the majority of the time. Yeah. Yeah. I think um, you've kind of, you've summed that really, really nicely. And it's it's an interesting thing, isn't it? I don't know if you've experienced this in your own relationship with food. Um, But I find that the more I personally chill out around food, Mm -hmm. the more I naturally come to the right decisions that really do support me. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it's it's really, um, it's a really tricky one, I think, sometimes to try and explain to people as well, because there is an element of, I am very aware, and I don't know if you this, but with my physique, you know, I'm I'm at a place now and I even struggle to say it out loud now because I'm like does this sound arrogant but I like what I see when I look in the mirror you know arrogant. Oh, I was like, like I'm very happy with the way that I look but 
Yeah. Would I feel that way if I hadn't put in all the years of the extremes? Mm. You know what I mean by that? Mm -hmm. You know, it's almost like a retired millionaire being happy with his bank balance, but what he has now on his yacht is not what he did to get to that point to retire. Does that make sense? And do you ever have those own feelings about... Sometimes I just feel like people, you know, you'll see this real anti-diet messaging where they're like, you know, just be happy with the body you're in and just eat intuitively and everything will take care of itself. But they really seem to be really unaware of the fact that they're stood there in very, you know, healthy, gorgeous, attractive bodies that are still probably aspirational to a lot of their potential following looking at them that will have body goals because some people just will always have those body goals. Mm-hmm. Yeah, is that something that you've experienced with yourself? And do you ever question that side of things? Yeah, 100%. So we actually brought this up on a panel at Fit Expo because I think this is so important that actually pretty much, I can't go as far as to say every because I don't actually know, but pretty much, I see you're getting into too warm now as well. <laughs> I sweat on talking about this for reference. I'm taking my tongues off and giving Sophie quite the show. But pretty much everybody I know in the industry that talks about eating in the same way we do, and it's like I can be more relaxed with things. I naturally gravitate towards nutritious foods. I know what to be having. Has had an issue with food themselves in the past. Has had some form of disordered eating. However, spiral up maybe not like me who had a full blown eating disorder, but has had an issue with food, comes from a bodybuilding background mm. or a background where they have dieted for aesthetics, maybe whether that's a photo shoot or maybe their business has evolved from that to where they are now. Because there's absolutely no way that I would be able to make a lot of the choices that I do without the background knowledge that I have, without the education, without knowing what's in the food that I need to without having that awareness of calories. And that comes from, for a lot of us, from having an obsession with it in the past. Yeah. So you're absolutely right that we are in a position where we know how to be eating to get a certain outcome. And we know that, you know, compared to a lot of people that want to work with us that don't have maybe the knowledge that we do, we know how to eat in a certain way that is going to give us that outcome. And it's going to mean that we are fueling ourselves, but also that we can just stay in shape. So I think it's, it's quite, what's the word? I guess it can be misleading for people to be talking about this stuff and then to not say, but, you know, go back five, six, 10, 15 years ago. I was a bodybuilder and that is where a lot of the base knowledge of my nutrition comes from. And of course, they're combining that from how they used to be with a more balanced and flexible approach for sure. But it's so easy for us to stand there and say, well, you know, I can be more relaxed and I can make these choices. And if I have a cupcake, I don't freak out. When the reality is, if I go out for a slice of cake and probably been out in a coffee shop for a couple of hours, I'll have probably missed a meal. So I could have a brownie or half a brownie and then just get home and have a meal three, four hours later like I normally would. But calorie-wise day-to-day, it all sort of balances out anyway. And we know that that's the case. And because we can approach it in a more balanced and calmer way, which unfortunately some of the clients that start with us can't, we are then so much less likely to have that spiral effect of thinking I've fucked my whole day up because I ate half a brownie. Yeah. And do you know what? I'll be interested to get your views on this, actually, because this is this was a bit of a hot topic for a bit. So it's one, that what you've just described is one of the reasons that I still post full days of eating. And I know a lot of people don't agree with these. And I'm always very careful how I position it. I don't ever position it as this is a diet plan you should follow. Eat like me, you'll look like me. You know, I don't come down it from any of that angle. But for me personally, I actually think that one of the issues is when we we talk about balance, like people learn from seeing and observing and we can spout out and talk about balance and this and that and the other. But, you know, if you don't have the level of nutrition knowledge that we have, 
actually seeing how somebody's day slots together and to get some ideas for, oh, okay, actually, she doesn't prep every meal from Tupperware. And okay, when she's in a coffee shop, here's a rationale for having a brownie. But oh, actually, look, she's having cookies, but she's actually having that with some Greek yogurt because it balances it, you know? And it's so for me, I actually don't mind showing people four days of eating. And because I think they can, if positioned correctly, help more than harm. But I would be interested to get your thoughts on full days of eating because we might not agree on this one. Yeah. Know. So with what I eat in a day post, I think if somebody is struggling with disordered eating, there's more chance of harm than help because we know that those sorts of people are often sucked into a trap of self-comparison. But I think... With social media as well, we always, and I don't, and I know you don't either, but so many people think, oh, well, I have to try and please everyone and I have to think about it from every single angle. But we have to remember when it comes to food and the way people feel about food, it's always coming from where they're currently at. So it's about the intentions behind why somebody's doing something. So if somebody's looking at your full day of eating thinking, oh my God, I need to be super lean. I have to be shredded. She looks incredible. I need to know what she needs to compare every single thing that she's having to what I have and to make sure I'm eating in the exact same way. That's obviously coming from a household place and they've got some work to be doing, right? But if it's for informative purposes and to give people inspiration and ideas, then that's okay. But I think there's better ways of doing it because as well, You've obviously eaten the way that you've eaten and trained the way that you do for years and years and years. And you can't get that across in what I eat in a day post. Yeah. Or you can't get across, there's people, so I work with a couple of influencers at the moment who post them and they are taking photos of the boyfriend's food. It's not actually theirs. One of them, she will make a meal and eat a third of it and then put the rest in the bin. And it's not as though it's a huge meal and she's had enough. So she's being intuitive, like she's she's underfueling. And then, or like they'll go out to restaurants. One of them gets paid to go out to restaurants and like order food, but it'll be food that her friends are having, not what she's having. So she's making out she's eating this certain way and then maintaining a very lean physique. But actually, one of the reasons she's working with me is because it's all coming from a place of restriction and that whole my body is my business card narrative and I have to look a certain way to be in the fitness industry. So it always depends on the intention behind it and the fact that, I mean, I know for a fact what you post will be 100% what you eat on that day or whatever day it is. But for a lot of people, there can be the feelings that they have to create a certain perception and it's not the truth or the reality behind what we say. Um, and I think that they can lead to self-comparison. They can lead to an increase in food preoccupation. So we know that people who struggle with constant thoughts around food and constant planning of food and guilt and anxiety around food are actually more likely to struggle with binge-type behaviours. So we know that for some people, they can contribute to those sorts of things. But we can't say that they're going to be harmful for everyone. It always depends on why someone's going to social media and why somebody is looking for a certain type of content. Yeah. Yeah, that's really interesting, actually. That has opened my eyes. This shows my naivety because as somebody that creates that kind of content, it's never even crossed my mind that what somebody posts might not actually be what they eat. Yeah, it's, um, it's mad, isn't it? Like, yeah. it happens all the time because people are thinking, oh, well, I need to make out that, because obviously as well, the the ones that I'm working with, one of them, like she's doing hours and hours of cardio if she is eating a meal out. So there's often compensatory behaviours, but she's not going to be honest about that. She's not going to say that I went out and had nine dishes at a tapas restaurant, but then I did four hours of cardio the next day. Like, that's not going to have all these companies reaching out to her with free products and discount codes. Yeah. So it's um, it's a difficult one, and I don't think there's any right or wrong with it. Um, but again, I think a lot of it comes down to when we see these, even like I said on yours, where you're being honest about stuff, it's not necessarily going into 
well, yeah, I eat this way, but actually so much of my physique is all the hard work that I've put in over the years. Yeah. I do actually caveat some of mine with that sometimes because I do think that's important because actually if I ate what I ate in a day now, even five years ago, the end result of how my physique would have looked would have been different. That's the same body. So it is important because we're all at, you know, different stages and my body has just changed over years of having more training experience and more muscle getting fitter you know mm-hmm. like my energy requirements are just different now to what they were getting older as well you know and all of that stuff so for me I think the way I share them is much more around this is the thought process of the food selection rather than eat these things get this out yes yeah, um, and I that think, and that's why I think it's useful to discuss things like this podcast because again you see these things like don't follow four days of eating and then you get the problem is I think when when people go on the attack of stuff the people that actually have the bad intention like you said probably don't give a shit about that stuff and you get the people like me that have the good intentions they go oh my god I need to stop posting these things because I'm gonna mess everyone up you know no 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 again like we can't you know especially potentially for the people you work with and your sort of client, then that will be the sort of stuff they want to say. Yeah. And we can't filter our content to please everyone. Yeah. It's in the same way, I think, you know, if somebody had a problem with alcohol, mm-hmm. you can't really come at Heineken for popping up in their feed with, with an ad or a post, you know. You can say to them, right, don't follow Heineken or alcohol yeah. companies whilst you're working through this stuff. This is where it is so messy when we talk about relationships with food, because I think sometimes, and you've probably seen this, right, in in same as I do, like working with actual coaches, people who are putting out this messaging, I think sometimes people can live with what is, and I know I have in the past, even when, you know, I'd broken free from my eating disorder, I'd actually argue that I didn't have an eating disorder in the way that I did. You know, I was no longer binging and purging, so no longer meeting the clinical definition of an eating disorder. But as we got into my bodybuilding extreme fitness ways, my behavior patterns were still, I would say, disordered. Some of them. And so I think this is where it's really messy when we talk about healthy relationships with food, because sometimes people can have these good intentions but I have quite a dysfunctional relationship with food that's harming them without them realizing, you know, and it's not for us to kind of preach that on everyone. But I guess where I'm going with this is if somebody's listening to this going, oh, well, now I'm curious about my own relationship with food, what would you say a healthy relationship with food looks like day to day? So day to day, it's going to be ensuring that there's lots of variety in your diet that food isn't creating anxieties or or guilt or feelings of fear. So we know that as busy people, which let's face it, everybody is, there has to be some thought process and planning. Like this is where I think intuitive eating is a great concept and it would be wonderful if everybody in the world could eat intuitively. But I think with how busy a lot of people are nowadays, you can't just walk into your fridge and open it and just be like, right, this is what I fancy right now in this moment. Yeah. We need to have some sort of planning and structure in place, especially for busy people to be able to make nutritious choices. Can you still hear me, by the way? Because you froze Yeah, I can still hear everything. <laughs> um, so where did I get to we when I was to have There needs to be some sort of structure and organisation because we know, again, optimal relationship with food, it's staying in a regular eating routine most of the time. Um, It is food and your experiences with food and the way we feel about food, it enhances your life. It's not taken away from it. It's not causing food preoccupation, negative thoughts and feelings and constantly feeling consumed around what you can have, you can't have, you should have, you shouldn't have. Food, you feel quite neutral towards food. So like we spoke quite a bit about, you know you feel your best when you are fueling your body, when you are eating mainly unprocessed foods, but you understand and accept that all foods can have their place within a balanced diet. 
There's just some foods that we eat more of because they make us feel great. And naturally you're at a place where you gravitate towards those things. Um, being intentional with your food choices is important for a healthy food relationship. So making conscious choices with food rather than just flying around on autopilot and sort of grabbing things or finishing off the kids' leftovers and not being conscious of the decisions that you're making around food. So it's going into the ways that you eat with intention and being aware of the choices that you're making. Um, having emotional regulation strategies in place as well so that you aren't relying on food to regulate your emotions. So of course, at times, food can be used for comfort. It's not always a bad thing, but we want to have other things that we are doing to look after ourselves and care for ourselves as well. Being able to feel hunger and satiety, I think, is important as well, because so many people have moved so far away from that that they don't actually know what hunger feels like and how it shows up for them. Um, so it is eating when hungry, but this is something I was talking about last week as well. So when you have a decent relationship with food, hunger doesn't cause any urgency. Yeah. It's not this feeling that you fear or dread because you think, oh my God, if I don't eat as soon as I feel hunger, then I'm going to lose control. It's like, I can feel a little bit of hunger and I can sit with that. And I know it's a normal emotion, but I also trust myself that as soon as I get chance in the next hour or so, I'm going to go make a meal or a snack. Yes. Do you know what? I could that whole piece there, hunger and fullness, and this could be a whole nother podcast in it. <laughs> but I do feel like actually, you know, with a lot of the women I work with, that's really because the thing is so often, right? People think that the answer is in the foods that they're eating or the this or the that. And actually, a lot of the answer as to why you struggle with your weight is in the why you're eating. Like Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Interesting. And I think the hunger and fullness, and this is where like some of the clients that I work with, there's two, two themes that come up a lot. So the ones that we are transitioning away from a way of dieting and counting macros into something more intuitive, a big piece that's missing, and this is a, due to the fact of them consuming far too much intuitive eating content on social media, is the honoring the fullness piece. Because yeah. when we talk about honoring yes you have to honor your hunger but they're reading that as i need to eat every single time i'm hungry yeah and what we work on is no being able to go through your day with some hunger is normal but mm -hmm. no i've got clients that when we start working through this stuff and i think i've probably experienced this firsthand genuinely have a fear of hunger yeah, yeah. because you know yeah. in prep for me for example i use myself as an example I'd be scared of the hunger because if I got too hungry, well, then I'm going to binge. Then I'm going to yeah. ruin my prep. Then I'm going to ruin my diet. Um, and so, you know, really fun. Yeah. I'm, I'm carrying the bloody Tupperware with me everywhere, you know, and constantly thinking about where am I going to be at this time? What can I get yeah. to do for food? And I think to then start to say to people, right, now honor your hunger. And especially if somebody is coming off the back of years of restriction, potentially extreme restriction, it's not very helpful advice. Just eat whenever you're hungry because some people are just, hunger is different for different people. Does that, does that make Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, hunger signals, satiety signals are completely different for everyone. Mm. And some people genetically struggle with different hormones and i'm not saying that healing your hormones is the key to your fat loss because we know that that's bullshit as well but some people have different levels of hunger hormones and years and years of dieting or restriction or disordered eating habits can throw all of these things out of whack and even more and then you know genetically there are certain genes and people can struggle with having way higher levels of hunger than somebody else or way lower levels of satisfaction. So that means if if that individual is always eating to hunger or always eating to satiety, because as well in the fitness industry, we think that satiety is a full stomach. Yeah. Yeah. We think that it is. And if that was the case, everyone would just smash in a loads of edge and be fine. <laughs> But true satisfaction from food is being able to find other things within your food 
other pleasurable experiences, other ways of enjoying food and different tastes, textures, combinations, tuning into different senses and understanding that I might still feel like I could eat a little bit more, but actually I feel comfortable and calm with what I've had and I've really enjoyed it. Yeah. So it isn't just the feeling of fullness in your stomach. And because again, like when you were on prep and you were doing bikini shows, and this is so common if I work with any ex-competitors, they just have a serving of protein and a fucking mound of veg because they're just wanting to have that stomach fullness. And like you said, reduces the fear of feelings of hunger, reduces the risk of them losing control or overeating. But that in itself, for a lot of people, is they're wanting to feel that fullness because potentially they're missing other things in their life at that time. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. I think, like, I think it's actually really important that we use the phrase fullness and satisfaction because it is, you know, like how many times like, you've probably seen it with your clients. Like they have the like low calorie meal and then they go, right, I'm not done. You know, they have the protein and the wedge and then they go rummaging through the cupboard and, and yeah. you know, a whole box of cookies. When actually, had they just turned that protein and wedge into, I don't know, a bloody burger and chips, they'd make themselves at home. You know, you can still make a nutritious version of that i think this is the other thing as well when we talk about whole foods so often people have this idea of a chicken breast a sweet potato and it's like you know when i start giving clients recipes and things like that and they're like oh shit like you can make you know this yeah a meal that resembles something that i might normally eat with the kid you know like it it blows people's minds but you know, I think that's it. And it's trying to get people to understand that actually you might consume less calories overall and if we can stop that pattern of behavior where you're constantly trying to eat as few calories. And well, I've got a theory, which it's not actually uh, rocket science, but under eating and excessive over restriction will result in overeating. So whether it's that evening, whether it's that weekend, whether it's two months later when you end up on holiday or a weekend away or whatever trip it was, if you have excessively dieted before, you are going to swing back so much harder the other way. Yeah. And we know for some people, this unfortunately, they are stuck in a cycle with that that's very extreme. So this is when, and this is something I struggled with when I struggled with eating disorders. So after I was diagnosed with anorexia, I then struggled with binge eating and bulimia. Mm -hmm. So that was obviously an extreme version of that cycle where it was actually eating disorder territory, where excessive restriction had then meant that all of my hunger cues, all of my satiety signals, which we see bodybuilders talking about very similar things on the back of prep. And I'm not saying that bodybuilding is an eating disorder. I genuinely don't believe that. I think it can be a contributing factor for some people, but... Not everybody. My theory, I think the sport attracts people with eating disorders. You already have eating issues, yeah. I don't think it necessarily causes them so much as it offers a socially acceptable outlet to um, live. A reason to remain in that. that. You know, and that again, I don't think that's a conscious decision. I don't think people go, oh, I'm going to sign up for a bikini competition so me and my eating disorder can have a good old time together. No, no. that oh, well, I'm kind of doing this thing anyway, and that's going to help keep me even more, to, like, you know? Yeah. I think that's what it, it lends to. And again, that's glamorized and normalized within society, and then people are praised for that as well, aren't they? So, you know what? I, mean, yeah. I always say, right, the reason I've got photos of me, in because very similar to you, I started out with anorexia, and then that one day I just couldn't stop eating, and that yeah. turned into a binge purge like also that moved into bulimia i've got photos of me when i was anorexic looking pretty shocking you know that really bowed leg like skinny if i showed you that you'd be like that girl is poorly yeah you know what the crazy thing is if i showed you a picture of me competing you'd go wow she's disciplined and in here yeah. where i was competing i have less body fat than i did when i was ill but the only difference is I've got muscle and fake tits when I was competing. Yeah. yeah. And that's the, that's the sad fact of it. 
And when you're on stage, you've got a spray tan, you've had your makeup done, your hair's done. Yeah, it is. It's terrifying, isn't it? And I think as well with that whole restriction, then leading to overeating, which obviously for us happened to like a drastic extreme. It's your body's way of protecting you. It's like, we're not going through this cycle again. And again, different people with different like environmental, genetic, financial, cultural issues going on are then influenced by those things so much more. And this is why issues with food don't look a certain way. So we've now got a type of anorexia that somebody in a larger body can have because the way that they feel about restriction, the way that their hunger hormones and, you know, overeating and undereating periods impact them is exactly the same way somebody that's in a very, very skinny body. Yet everybody always thinks, oh, well, if somebody's underweight, then they've got a problem with food. And it's actually like, no, more people with eating disorders are in normal-sized bodies and larger bodies than smaller bodies. Um, We've gone totally off topic. I can't even remember what. Fine, we love a tangent. I can't remember what the original yeah. question was. Talking about the hunger and fullness piece, yeah. actually, that I think the excessive restriction can be more of a problem with people yeah. who manage their weight in the long run. But I think, you know, when I'm setting clients up to diet, because again, I would also say, I'm also very aware that, like, for me personally, a lot of my eating disorder was aesthetics driven. So I wanted to look a certain way. Um, and controlling my food was a way of getting that outcome, as opposed to, you know, people can have eating disorders for huge varieties of huge reasons. But my main driving force was that I used to be overweight, I got underweight, and then life was better. You know, I got skinny, life was better. So I'm also very aware that for some of the clients I work with, they, the quicker we can get them to their goal, the better in the sense that, you know, we want to, I completely understand. If I'm saying to someone, right, let's start to work on sugar and fullness and eating a bit more intuitively and eating a few more calories, they don't, they probably won't want to listen to me on any of that stuff until I've got them to X, Y, Z size, what they want to be. Mm-hmm. There are kind of two things that I always run through with clients when I first start with them. And it, a lot of it's around managing expectations. Number one is the rate of fat loss. I think that's really important that you pick a rate of fat loss that is going to be appropriate for you. And again, somebody's dieting history, relationship with food, how much weight they've got to lose, all of that stuff will come into play with that. I think the second one is that what you're actually shooting for in the first instance is realistic for your body. Because like you were saying about these compensatory behaviors, you know, for me, maybe I learned this the hard way, but as much as I like my body, the look of my body at a certain weight, I know can't maintain that because every yeah. single time I get down there, I'm constantly thinking about food. I am struggling. Like it's a struggle. It's a slog to keep down at that weight. I can't live life the way I want to live. And, then, and to use what you said earlier, like I'm not naturally turning to healthful foods at that body weight because yeah. my body going, eat the cookies, bitch. You need to put your fat on. <laughs> yeah. You know? 100%. And I think sometimes people, when they think, like I've even had it with clients in the past that have done the extreme diets and the competing and they kind of get to a certain weight, which for them feels, and I'm going to use the competitor term fluffy, a bloody term. Oh my God. Had, when people say it and they've still got abs, I'm like, you know what? I was that idiot once. Like I look back and I'm like, Jesus Christ, Laura. But I'll have, I'll have definitely used that term to talk. Yeah. And it's like your perception when you are exposed and in that world, it's just not yeah. reality. But this is the problem, I think. It's like they can't seem to draw the logical conclusion that, but you're not, you're not wanting, you're actually wanting to eat a salad now. And it's not because you're overly restricting, it's because a salad feels good to you. Why? Because you've got a healthy level of body fat. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And it's, so I think sometimes people don't put two and two together that it's like, actually, you're great as you are. Once you're in that healthy range, is yeah. it worth sticking around with? But anyway, as I was saying, so if somebody does want to diet, those are the two things that I'm looking at is, you know, is it realistic from the off? Yeah. And if it's not, that's okay. Like I still say to some clients, we can get you there. You want to do your shoot? You want to do, sweet. 
just know that you can't, you're probably not going to be able to live there, but that's all right. Enjoy it. Take lots yeah, of naps when you're there, you know, like a holiday. Um, yeah. But is there anything else that you would say that other than those factors that somebody should consider before they start dieting if they're looking to break a perpetual cycle? Yeah. Weight regaining weight. I think people really sitting down and having a thought about why they want to diet. So what is actually the reason behind it? Mm. Is it because they looked a certain way 10 years ago before they had children and they think, like, the only way that I'm ever going to be happy is if I get back in my genes from that time 10 years ago when I felt great. Um, and understanding that life changes, people change, priorities change, bodies change. And actually, and this is a conversation I have with a lot of clients when they talk about things like that, like, well, I was really genuinely happy back then. So we delve into it a little bit more and they're looking at things through rose tinted glasses. Like maybe they weren't in a loving relationship where they enjoy having a date night once every other week. And maybe they had so much more free time. So they were able to exercise seven days a week and they were over restricting and they haven't actually realized. So delving into the reasons why people want to diet and what it's going to add to their lives. I think that's very important. And then knowing what you value and what's important to you. Mm. Because that's like you said with your clients, where you have the conversation with them of, of okay, cool, we can get you to that level of lean for a photo shoot or whatever it is you want but it's probably not going to be realistic for you to maintain that place and have a healthy relationship with food so somebody might genuinely have a goal which i had myself as well in the past recently in the past and um, of looking a certain way for a photo shoot but then understanding that actually i do value health i value connection I value family time. I value seeing my friends and socializing. So I know that for me to be able to do the, those things without the excessive restriction and to break away from this cycle, the being five or 10 pounds lighter so that I've got abs each day of the year, that's not actually in line with the life that I say I want to lead. Yeah. And I think sometimes as well, like I think people can hear these conversations and it might not actually be the abs all year round either like for some women like your body might naturally like even sitting at a stage where you don't have abs but you're you're a lot slimmer than you are and I might not be maintainable for you no no so no 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 I think social media has a lot to answer for in the sense of what it actually shows especially if you're engulfed in the world of fitness is a lot of women who are actually quite underweight and like I was saying earlier about the muscle and the big boobs and, um, you know, it does, it does give the impression that these bodies are healthier than they are. Yeah. I think people need to be really careful with that when looking at their kind of body goals as well. Um, but I guess I, I, I love what you said about value. The way I describe it to clients is imagine a load of cups or like glasses and you've only got one jug of water. And each um, of the cups needs to represent something that's important to you in your life. So one of them might be body and the way you look. Another one um, might be family time with your kids. Another one might be date night with your partner. Another one might be your job. And, you know, you, you've only got this one jug of water and you need to spread that across all the cups. So the more of it that's going in your body cup, well, that's going to need to come out of the other cups. And how much are you happy taking out of those other cups to be yeah. to the body cup? Um, and I sometimes quite like that as a little way of explaining it. Cause when you start to get down and things about your own cups, you start to go, well, actually, yeah, that, that, why am I giving myself a hard time for something that I don't have the resources or desire to do anyway? And I yeah. like the fact that you ask your clients a question, like, why do I want to lose weight? Cause I've even done that with myself before. I think sometimes we can just, because that's what we've always done. It's like, yeah, it's kind of weird I, to go, I don't actually, I don't want to lose any weight now like the fact yeah. that I lied I find that really strange because I'd spent my whole life trying to lose weight to suddenly go no I'm all right now 
was weird. Yeah, and it's, it's just always what everybody does as well, isn't it? Like that's, it's so normalized actually as women, we should always be trying to do that. And I think for me as well, there's a big part of it of being honest with my clients about how chasing aesthetics constantly past a certain line will then start to become detrimental to your relationship with food, to your relationship with your body. Because I know, so actually at the start of this year when I dieted, because I dieted the year before as well, and I got leaner for that photo shoot. Whereas this time I did do it much more balanced, more flexibility. But the time, the year before when I did it, as I got leaner, you are obviously weighing yourself probably every day. You are looking at yourself in the mirror more. You recognizing these parts of your body. And I remember trying on the outfits for the photo shoot and there was literally just the tiniest little bit of fat skin that was just slightly popping over the edge of the underwear. And I remember taking a photo and sending it to my couch and circling it and being like, will this bit go in the next four weeks? And that part of my body, had n- I'd never even like noticed it before. It was just like, I mean, I will have done when I had like disordered eating, but it was just a tiny little bit of fat on my head that actually right now I find pretty sexy. Like I like having curves. I like that I'm in shape. I like that I've got a feminine figure. And again, I'm not afraid to say that. So that's part of my body that I actually now enjoy. doesn't mean that I pick the parts of my body that are problem areas and force myself to love them because I think that's bullshit as well. I'm so glad you said that. I literally went like, who stands in front of the mirror and goes, do you know what? I really send you light. I fucking love you. Yeah. Many part of me. Thank you for my cellulite. It's like, no, you get to a place where it just doesn't bother you because you realise there's way more important things in life than (laughs) obsessing over cellulite. But we know, you know, the research shows us as well that weight loss past a certain point increases food preoccupation, reduces body satisfaction. Like you're finding parts of yourself to continue changing. So that highlights all of these things that you are then going to have to restrict further for. So then you are further dysregulating hunger hormones. You're further dysregulating how satisfied you can feel from a meal. You are having to compromise other areas of your life more and you know food preoccupation ramps up like I sat working with some clients who took this stuff to extremes and they tell me that when they're sat watching tv they can't focus on the television because they're daydreaming about what a certain meal or a certain food tastes like like they're actually imagining tasting it while they're sat there yeah I th- and it's like up in there or like someone's eating. I remember watching a whole scene of a film and having to replay it because there was some toast on the table. Yeah, <laughs> it's looking at the toast. It's bad, isn't it? And it's like, that's when, you know, taking aesthetics to extremes has started to have a real negative impact. And past that point, it's only going to get worse. Yeah. I do think. Uh, that, yeah. And it's one of the questions that I very often ask my clients when we're dieting, you know, if they, because it, again, it's striking that balance as a coach, because sometimes there will be, you know, I have to tell my clients to embrace hunger, just suck it up a little bit. That's yeah. Normal yeah, yeah, when yeah. You're dieting. But one thing that I'm checking with them is on the whole, not in that moment when you flipping hate dieting, because we all have those moments where something feels uncomfortable. And again, we have to be careful that we don't create a culture where people never feel uncomfortable because, you know, you should. (laughs) Like you should at some some points in life, whatever walk of life it is, like you're not going to benefit from going through all of life comfortable. But, you know, on the whole, I'm saying to clients, is the juice worth the squeeze still? And, you know, on the whole, is this is this still where we want to be going? Is this still making you feel good? Like, sleep on it, you know, or this time next week, you still feel that way. We'll call time on the diet. Or actually, I don't think we should diet yet, you know? So it's sometimes I think as a coach, it's not being afraid to put in that pause point with clients. Yeah, yeah. And to give themselves a chance to make a proper decision instead of just reacting in emotions. Because we do that so often as humans, right? Yeah. And... Um, just base things on how we are feeling in that moment in time. And, you know, when you said that with dieting, we have to tell people sometimes to suck, up, suck it up and be hungry. I mean, even 
at maintenance or if people are starting to learn to listen to their body more or move away from tracking, sometimes we do have to suck it up and be an adult and be like, you know, I'm leaning into hunger a little bit and it doesn't have that urgency. It's not the worst thing in the world. Nothing drastic, nothing bad is going to happen. Like actually being able to do that. And sometimes we have to parent ourselves. We might have a natural urge or a drive to order a takeaway or, you know, there's a packet of biscuits in the kitchen cupboard and I just want to eat the whole packet. And it's like, no, you can't just, you can't just do that. Like, of course, sometimes it happens because none of us are perfect. But regardless of the phase that someone's in, a lot of a healthful approach to nutrition and nourishing yourself is parenting yourself and treating yourself in a way that you would tell somebody else to treat themselves. Yeah. Do you know what? It's so refreshing to hear you say that because I think one of the biggest misconceptions with people maintaining their weight is that it's effortless. And again, it leads to what you were saying earlier, I guess, about people almost being afraid of being hungry. And, you know, I do think sometimes this whole honor your hunger piece can give people the wrong impression that, you know, you should just let yourself have whatever feels good in that moment well it's like maybe going back a hundred years but if we think about our environment now yeah and how much that's adapted yeah i mean i I remember growing up you would go out for a meal once every six weeks maybe my parents were just really really stingy but it wasn't that every single time you socialized you ate out for a meal it was a really special occasion and like you know, socialising, meeting people, meeting up with people. You'd go around to each other's houses or you'd go for a walk or we'd be doing other things. It wouldn't all revolve around food and drink. Yeah. Whereas now, British culture is every single thing that we do revolves around food and drink. Yeah. Like, even think about, like, how brownies have adapted. I mean, I fucking love it. And you get a brownie and it's full of all this stuff and it's things flying out of it. And... In second, though, I thought you meant, like, the girl guides. I was like, where's she coming with this? You know, like, brownies and girl guides. I was like, oh, no. But, but, like, but going, back, going back, like, five years, a brownie was, like, you know, this size. Yeah. And it was just a brownie, whereas now it's this size and it's then got a layer and another layer and this flying out of it and sprinkles on top of it and cream on it. And, you know, it's the way that our food environment has adapted means that to remain healthy, that does take conscious effort. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's it. In the same way that if you don't want to be broke, Managing your bank account takes a conscious effort as well, but it doesn't need to stress you out every day. And I think that's the important place to get to with people is that, um, you know, where they do feel like they're the ones in control, their diet's not controlling them. But it does mean, you know, I, I daily, there's usually something that comes up most days where I go, do you really need that, Laura? Are you just being like, you, do you know what I mean? Like, yeah constantly because i could so easily i live in the center of a city like at the end of and i can have everything here on Deliveroo, and i live next to a Tesco express so if i thought oh then i've got a big appetite so you know most days i could probably go and get a big bag of chocolate from tesco and sit at my desk and eat it whilst i'm working i don't okay. employ some self-control there um yeah Final question before we go, because I'm interested to get your opinion on this, because this is this is something that came up with one of my clients, actually, and it's come up before, and I think it could confuse people. So there's this notion that we should be able to eat everything in moderation. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's also, she says, she feels this pressure that she should be able to keep all foods in her house. So there are some foods that she will struggle to keep in the house because she will overeat on them. Um, you know, so if there is a packet of cookies in the house, packet of biscuits, she's not a cookie person like me, packet of biscuits in the house, she'll, she'll eat the whole packet of biscuits in front of the TV of an evening. So she finds it easier to not have those in the house and maybe just special occasions she has those. What are your thoughts on that? Because she came to me and said, does that mean I've got a disordered way of thinking about these foods? Does that still mean I have bad foods and forbidden food? And I'm interested to get your take on that because I think a lot of people 
have food that they can't they struggle to control themselves around yeah I think the the risk with that mindset is that then when she does buy them or she's around then it's gonna be like oh well, it's a free ticket to overeat them because that's what I've always done that's what I've always done in that situation because right now she doesn't have the evidence that she could have that packet of biscuits in the cupboard and then have one or two when she genuinely wants them, which doesn't then have to be every day because she knows she can have them at any time. And she's built up that trust and that belief in herself that she's safe and it's fine. And those biscuits aren't going anywhere. And obviously in a fat loss phase, there's an element of setting your environment up for success, 100%. But I, so if a client was working with me on fat loss and they said, right, I just really can't trust myself around whatever it might be, biscuits, chocolate, that is when we would really look at trying to make sure we are keeping them in in moderation. So, you know, like some biscuits, you can buy smaller packets of like a couple of Oreos or whatever it might be. Or chocolate bars, you can buy smaller versions. That's when I'd be like, look, let's look at including this three, four times a week within however your nutrition plan looks, whether it's a client that tracks or a client that doesn't. And over time, it's going to be so much easier for you to believe yourself that you can have those things in the house they aren't going anywhere the novelty almost wears off them mm. and if we've got clients that come to us purely from a food relationship perspective then it's much easier to do because you aren't being as aware of calorie intake yeah. so it's definitely harder for clients who are focusing on fat loss but then I almost think it's like right so what then happens when she's lost the weight and it's like, right, you know, we're going to start working through these things. Is it then going to be this even harder situation because she's absolutely starving? She's not all allowed herself to have those things for such a long period of time that it's going to build up to be an even worse situation. Um, so it's difficult. It really, really is. And I think people saying there's foods that I just can't have in because I'll eat them all. Like I remember going through that and my thing was Nutella. And I, I would just, I would just nail a jar. Like it would just not last. And then I decided, right, I am going to really focus on this. I'd gone through it with loads of other things and nothing was as, to me, nothing hit that spot quite like Nutella did. So I had a commitment to myself where I was like, right, when I buy the jar, if I nail it in one go, I've got to immediately go to the shop and buy another jar. However many times it takes for me to drive to the shop, buy more Nutella, have it in the house and build that trust up, that's what I'm going to do. And obviously you can always get people to commit to that more if they've achieved the aesthetic goal, but also we know the process of achieving the aesthetic goal could heighten all of those issues and make them so much worse and make it even harder to work through them. Um, so yeah, I think we can't say one thing definitely won't work for somebody and will always work for somebody else. It's always on a very individual basis. But I think she should be aware that if she is only allowing herself these things on special occasions, she's going to end up overeating. And then after her diet's done, these issues are going to be more intense because she'll be leaner, she'll have less body fat, hunger hormones further dysregulated. So it's it's a real hard one. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. It's interesting, actually, because... She was in a maintenance phase at that point. So exactly what we did was practice having biscuits in the house and slightly different approach. But I was like, if you're not sure if you want them, either have them, you know, after dinner. So you've had a balanced meal first. So we've got some nutrition in. Or, you know, make them as part of like something more balanced. So put some Greek yogurt and some fruits or something like that with it. So, yeah, interesting, similar approach. The other question that I did ask her is I'd, you might not agree with me on this one. This might be where we're slightly different. Um, is that I asked her, do you like eating a whole packet of biscuits in one go? Because mm. I know that sounds stupid because there are certain things for me that I will buy knowing I want to eat them to the point where I feel a little bit stuffed afterwards. So I will buy a big cup of Picovic and I am that person that sees it as my mission to get as much out of my three ninety nine cup as I've got quite them, you know, I'm like shaking jelly beans down in the gaps, all that kind of stuff. I think that's just a skill though. Like, I feel like a... there's a whole tutorial that I could make on this in itself. Honestly, I really get my money's worth. <laughs> but I enjoy part of the process of having that pick and mix for me 
I enjoy sitting and eating the whole cup in one go. But I don't feel any guilt. I don't feel any shame for that. I'm completely not afraid to admit to anyone that I don't see that as a problem. It's not in secret. It's not in hurried. And bearing in mind, I'm somebody that used to have a problem with this stuff. So, but you're then, you're choosing to overeat in that situation and and understanding. I think that's it. That's the key piece. So, you know, it's getting people to understand that actually on some occasions, it's okay to eat large quantities of food as well. And don't eat everything in moderation. So again, I think this is where the piece gets really complicated because some people will give will feel bad for eating things to excess at times as well. But 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 that's still being intentional with the food choices yeah. because you know what you're doing. It's not anything that brings those feelings of guilt and shame. You love pick and mix. You think they're delicious. So you're choosing to overconsume them. But often when people say, oh, well, I just can't have X in the house. I can't eat just one of those. It's almost like an out-of-body experience when they're eating it. Like you said, they're probably not sat down enjoying it properly being like oh my god this is the best packet of biscuits i've ever eaten in my life they're probably doing it in quite a frenzied way where they're not actually tasting the biscuits they're eating them very quickly um so it's not an enjoyable experience they don't feel better for it after yeah whereas after your pick and mix you'll be like oh my gosh they're amazing i love them like they tasted delicious and i crack on with my day yeah whereas you know when people are eating things in that way it's not the way that your client was describing. It's not enjoyable. It's not a mindful experience. It's not something that makes them feel better. They actually then feel worse after they've done. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's that's the key piece, isn't it? I think if somebody was listening to this going, is this a problem? Is this not a problem? It's that intention and how you feel afterwards. 100%. Yeah. 100%. Well, Thank you so much for this conversation, Sophia. I feel like we could honestly just keep going. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just never, it'd be never ending one time and we've overrun. So thank you so much for coming on. If people want to find you, obviously I will pop all of your links in the comment section below as well. But where is the, if somebody wanted to reach out off the back of this, they had a question, where's the best place for them to get you? Instagram. Best place to find me is just Sophia underscore Apollo underscore nutrition. Amazing. And I will link that in the comments of this podcast as well. So yeah, once again, thank you very much, Sophia. And thank you everybody for listening. And I will catch you all in the next episode. Thanks for having me.